Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, I'm beside myself excited that we are joined by Amber Kamad, the star of the best show on TV right now, slash ever, Netflix's One Day. One Day is based on the best-selling book by David Nichols, which follows Emmerin Dexter, played by Leah Woodall, on the same day for 20 years as they go from crush to friendship, and the rest is a plot spoiler. Speaking of plot spoilers, there are some in this episode, so watch out as we have a proper DMC around the show from Ambika initially turning down the role of Emma to how her on and off screen relationship with Leo helped to overcome imposter syndrome. There are so many special moments in this chat. Ambika talks about the power of representation and her mental health. But what I really love about Ambika is that she's a symbol of what can happen when you work hard and you chase your dreams. So I hope she inspires you to jump over the hurdles and achieve your goals because you can do it, babes. Babes, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm so good. I am honestly beside myself, excited to talk to you today. I cannot cope because one day, I'm just gonna gonna put this to you right now. I watched it, finished it, and then immediately was like, I need to watch this all over again. And I cannot remember the last time I watched a TV show and I felt like that. And it just like hit me so hard in the heart it was and you are exceptional in it so i just want to kick off by saying congratulations thank you that's so kind i'm so happy you liked it i want to watch it again that really is the goal that is the goal so yeah that's really lovely i mean it is amazing and in case anyone doesn't know what one day is about it's a show that follows two friends in the vert commas dexter and m on one day every year from the 80s right up to the noughties and it's based on the best selling book by david nichols were you obsessed with the book before this project came along yeah oh my god big time big time i like read it when i was like 13 14 so like when it came out um and it's just like absolutely one of my favorite books in the whole world like it's just always been I feel like it's always been in my life. And I remember when the film came out, like I was obsessed with that. And I'm, I've just always been massively obsessed with the story in general. I just think it's so poignant and gorgeous and insightful. And 
Um, yeah, I, I low-key kind of feel like I've been manifesting this role for like <laughs> 10 years. Um, and now it came my way. Um, it happened against all odds. Um, so it is, it is madness. And you said you've been low-key manifesting this role for the best part of like over 10 <laughs> years. Where were you at yeah. in your life when this role first came along? When you first got that call to be like, oh, there's this role coming out in one day. Do you fancy going up for the audition? Where were you at in your life when this came along? So it was like February 2022. And I, a show I had done called This Is Gonna Hurt had just come out. And everything was a bit mad because it was sort of like my first big sort of leading role. And um, I remember I was like, I was having a really, really like manic day and I was sat on the sofa and an email came through. You know, when a notification pops up on your phone, you just see like the header. And it was like, Emma, one day self-tape. And I opened the email and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, I'm not doing that. And I turned it down. I turned it down like three times the tape. No. Um, yeah, over like a course of like quite a long period of time, I turned so it down. So you played hard to get. I was like, nah. I played really hard to get. <laughs> it's sort of like my thing. Um, being avoidant is my attachment style, and it works. Everyone, <laughs> um, this is hard proof that it works in life, in work, and in love. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, well, I just, I, people always ask me why I turned it down. I think it was a mixture of reasons. Like, I think on the one hand, like, I was so overwhelmed because the show I'd just been had just come out, like it was being received really well. And I just sort of wanted everything to go away. And I was feeling a bit like in it. And then on the other hand, I was like, I love this book. I love this story. I love this character so much. I just didn't see myself playing her. I just couldn't see it. Because it was so, like I said before, so detached from me, felt so separate from me. I couldn't um, see myself in that role doing mm. it. Um, and I just thought this is a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of my time if I go up for it. It's a waste for the people who are going to watch it. Like, it just is a waste of everyone's time. So turned it down. And then I remember Rachel Sheridan, the casting director, who is incredible, just kept chasing. And I was like, nah. And then one day, I... This is... this this is not hyperbole when I tell the story. I literally was asleep one night and in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. And the next day I called my agent. I was like, is it too late to tape? What the fuck am I doing? And she was like, no, 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 you can tape. I was on the phone with Rachel like yesterday, but it is your last chance because they're doing recalls next week. And so I learned a Yorkshire accent in two days. It's kind of <laughs> <laughs> um, and the rest is, as they say, History. How did you learn a Yorkshire accent in the grand total of two days? How does one go about that? I, I, I simply, I simply did not. I did not learn the accent. It was bad. If you, if you hear my accent in my tape or in my first auditions, like it was really, really bad. Um, it was not a good Northern accent in any way, shape, or form. Um, but once I got the role, um, I then started working with a dialect coach, and we got it to where it is in the series. But I, I. I could not do a very good one. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that never comes to light, Those that footage. Oh, I'm fingers crossed. I hope it's going to come out. We need to see this. Oh, I'm so <laughs> the sorry. The growth, the development. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was the audition process like after you sent that self-tape in? Like, how long did it go on for? Um, For me, it was actually pretty quick. I think because I said no to it for so long. I wasn't waiting around for that long. 
So I sent the tape off. I got um, a recall um, in person with the director. And like, it was quite a brutal process. Like for every round, we had like three scenes to learn and each scene was like 10 pages, like just Emma and Dexter talking. Um, So it was, you know, quite a lot to learn, quite a lot to wrap your head around, quite a lot to wrap your mouth around in a bad Yorkshire accent. Um, And then uh, after that first in-person audition, I met, I I then called in for the chemistry reads. I remember I was at Spotlight from like 11am to like 6pm for one day and I read with three different Dexters. Um, And again, like we just did about three scenes, all really long, really meaty. We just sort of did them again and again and again in various ways. And... um, yeah, then I got the call saying that I was the front runner, but they were worried about the accent. So I had to have a session with a dialect coach to see what she thought and if it was salvageable. And I remember having that session with her and she was like, yeah, I'm not quite sure like what they want from me. Like you can obviously learn the accent, like you'll be absolutely fine. And when she said that, I was like, thank God the part's mine. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Because I'd spent the whole day before that session just watching Educating Yorkshire. <laughs> oh my God, one of the best TV shows of all time. Oh my God, one of the best TV shows of all time. When that when when that teacher like literally like eradicates Musharraf's stutter. I mean, incredible. Oh. Absolutely incredible scenes. Incredible yeah. scenes. Uh, what a way to learn the dialect. Love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my kind yeah. of dream homework. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. It was a great rewatch, actually. Like, it really holds up. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not sure how helpful it was to me. I'm not sure how much I was a, 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 a absorbing, but it must have done something. It's, yeah, it worked. It all works out. And where, yeah. were you, where were you when you finally got the call that you got it? I was in my flat, and I um, had missed a call from my agent, and he was, I called him back, and he didn't reply, and he was like, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. He didn't call me back for, like, an hour um and I was obviously going insane then he called me and he did that thing that agents do where he was like okay so I know you're waiting to hear on one day um unfortunately I've got some bad news and then the line cut off the phone cut off and like the color sunk from my face the color like seeped from the world I I was like distraught I was like this is I was like there's no point in me calling back but I did and he was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you got the part. <laughs> and um, yeah, I like started jumping around. My dog started jumping around. And then I went to meet my friends and we did a pub quiz. I didn't tell any of them that I'd got it because I wasn't allowed. Um, we came second in the pub quiz. We like won like 20 pounds and then spent it all on scratch cards and won nothing. Um, and then I came home and I told my housemate and, um, yeah, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty good day. Yeah. I mean, that is the stuff dreams are made of getting the lead role you've possibly been dreaming of for over 10 years and also coming second in the pub quiz. That's a real winner of a day. It never happens. (laughs) That never Neither of those things ever happen. So yeah, it's a really great, great day. (laughs) That is... Do you know what? To use the title of the show, that was one day you will never forget. You're not wrong. You're not I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> also, like, to make it, like, to make, not to make it, like, really deep, but, like, it was also, like, the one-year anniversary of, like, the day my grandma had died. So I kind of felt like she was, like, looking over me and, like, mm. blessing me. I don't know. Like, I really believe in that stuff. So it was, like, it felt very special and, yeah. 
And as it should. Yeah. And speaking of special, the on-screen relationship you created with Leah Woodall is exceptional. It's the chemistry you both have on screen is so amazing. When did Leo first come into your life in this process? And when you did that first chemistry read, were you just like, this is it? I can see it now. I can see this relationship coming together on screen. So, yeah, I met Leo at the chemistry reads that I mentioned earlier, and he was the second extra I read with. And I remember, like, meeting him and, like, he's so, like, cheeky and charming and he had, like, a really, really similar energy to, like, a friend of mine. Um... So I thought I had him sussed a little bit. And we, what thing is my chemistry reads, like the only thing that's being tested is chemistry. At that point, I think anyone who sort of called back to that round could play the part. Mm. And it just comes down to sort of a connection between two actors. And you have no control over that. You have no control over that. It's also really hard to judge when you're in that position. I'd only done one other chemistry read before with Ben Wishaw for This Is Gonna Hurt. And, um... I remember in every session with the different actors, like you're sort of like trying to ignore it, but you're also really aware of it. And like, oh, do I have chemistry with this guy? Oh, that didn't feel that connected. But I remember like with Leo, like he was so open and warm just immediately. And like, it felt really like easy. Like the the scenes felt really playful. I think what's really like rare about, I think the writing on the show and uh, you know the connection that Leo and I had was that like every scene just came so easily. Um, there was, we, we, we very rarely grappled with anything. There were never any moments where it felt stilted or like things weren't like, you know, being brought to life. Like it always just like happened. We always like would have a couple runs of it and it would just like flow and we would feed off each other really, really well. And, um, I think I was too self-involved to like have noticed that the first chemistry read. But then when we started filming, like it was just immediate. And, you know, that was really half the battle because I think if that had been cast wrong, like it would have been so much harder. Like you just can't fake that stuff. And, you know, I'm really grateful to have been, to have had an actor like Leo, who is obviously just amazing at what he does and to be able to work opposite that and just be able to like, yeah, play like that and have that back and forth. Like, it's really, it's really rare. Mm. And it's so rare to see it on screen as well because you can really feel it. And you can tell when you watch it that you must have had such strong trust behind the scenes to make that happen because it was, it's your first leading role. It's his first leading role as well. Yeah. That's a big undertaking on such a massive show with such a massive book as well that it's based on, which people have such a strong relationship with. How did you lean on each other through the process of filming? Like, I think we were both going through a very, very similar thing. Um, as you said, like, this was so much bigger than anything either of us had ever done before. And um, I think we both felt really similarly about the undertaking. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I just remember in terms of sort of, especially at the beginning of of the shoot like it was quite overwhelming and it was a massive responsibility not only like the size of the roles and the size of the project but also because the book and the characters are so beloved and we and we definitely felt that 
I think at the beginning, like we were just sort of feeling things out. Like we were both really open with when we were struggling, when we didn't feel like things were right. Um, uh, I remember just like, I'm, 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 maybe I was more vocal about it than him, but I would come out of every scene just being like, oh, fucking shit actor, I should fucking quit right now. I hate myself. Um, and like, he was just, you know, he was always, you know, very supportive to me in that. And, you know, I hope vice versa. Um, but I also think what's really interesting about that is like oftentimes like on set, you have departments and every department had, you know, has each other to lean on and they're sort of teams and they're sort of, you know, quite, um, yeah, they, you know, they have sort of their group and their structure and their belonging. Whereas me and Leo were sort of our own department. Um, so straight away, we were just sort of like, you know, no one really knows what the other person is going through apart from the other person. So that was really, really clear from the off. But um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was good to have someone like that to lean on because as an actor, you you might not always have that. And when you in those moments where you were coming off set off, after filming scenes and you were thinking, in inverted commas, you're a shit actor, which is the opposite of what you are, you're an exceptional actress. <laughs> oh, thank you. Was this a real big moment for you where you really had to push through imposter syndrome and you really proved that you could do it by doing this show? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of scenes in this show when I read them where I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Like, I don't have the training for this. I, I've never done anything like this before. Um, even just like, I mean, even like the accent of it all, I was like, I've never done anything close to a Yorkshire, um, or Yorkshire accent or a Northern accent before in my life. Um, everything kind of just felt insurmountable and impossible, especially when we started. Um, you know, I, imposter syndrome is something I have basically constantly in most spaces that I'm in, um, socially, professionally, whatever. Um, I always just feel like I'm really boring and no one wants to be around me. But I I think I learned a lot of healthy compartmentalization on this job in that I just took sort of one thing at a time. I didn't worry about things if it wasn't happening the next day. Um, and... I think that was a really good, I mean, the show was, the shooting of the show was so full on that it just sort of didn't give you time to think. And when a scene came around that you were really worried about, you just sort of had to get on with it and um, use however you were feeling that day. And that, I think that was a really, really good lesson. But after watching the show, when I watched the series, I was like, yeah, I'm really proud of myself. Like there are some bits in that, so there are some moments and there are like some episodes where I'm like, I there's no like there's no way in hell I would ever have imagined doing something like this in my life, being this kind of actor. Um so yeah, it feels like a massive achievement. I mean, not to say the imposter syndrome's gone and I'm still quite critical of my performance here and there, but it's all learning. Like I just mm. that's what I'm trying to remind myself constantly like everything's learning all the time um everything is an experience there's something to take away from everything what were the most challenging scenes to film i would say two of my favorite episodes are episode seven and eight so episode seven is um 
the sort of the big argument scene with Dexter between Emma and Dexter. And then episode eight is sort of Emma's standalone episode. Um, and we sort of shot them both at the same time within the same couple of weeks. Um, and it was just a really, really like full on couple of weeks. And, um, emotionally, like those episodes are really, really heightened. Um, and I was so exhausted. Like the shoot was so exhausting. I think everyone was just sort of like, it was getting really cold as well. And we were shooting outside pretending it was 15th of July. Um, which is it's which is an added which is an added obstacle that came sort of further down the shoot um but i remember just feeling like a massive weight to do those scenes justice and to also make them really gl- grounded i i'm really cognizant of like as an actor i don't like being told when to cry i don't like being told when to be angry like if those aren't emotions that come up in a grounded natural way then I then I don't think they belong otherwise I think an audience can see straight through it um so it was you know trying to find a middle ground and ways to play those scenes that felt really authentic and felt really playable um and you know again like I say like I'm not trained as an actor I didn't really have any tools of how to get there so um I was just sort of feeling out on the day. I think what's really difficult about acting is when you do a day's work and you have no idea what you've done. Like you don't watch it. You don't watch yourself mm. for a year or like when you go into ADR. So you sort of then have no answers. But we had really, really great directors and, you know, I trust them all with my life. And they were all so, so like nurturing and supportive and great, gave great guidance. So that was a real, real, real like blessing but again, like it was just all learning and just feeling your way through things and sort of like feeling your way in the dark, which feels mad. But like, I don't want to like, I feel, I feel like it's really important to like sort of demystify the acting process in a way because it can feel a lot more like complex and convoluted than it actually usually is. Um, sometimes you just got to show up and trust that you know the lines, you know the character, you know the story and then just see what happens and we were given loads of time to play. So that was really great. One of the things that really got me about the show, that one of the themes that really stuck with me was this idea that Emma's trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what her path is in mm. life. And that is something we all go through. We're either figuring ourselves out or figuring out what we want to do. What has navigating your path looked like? It feels like a long winding process. It- I think in in reality, it hasn't actually been that long. I've, you know, had my fair share of luck in the process. Um, But I think that's why Emma's so relatable because, you know, she doesn't have anything handed to her on a silver platter. Like, she really has to graft to find out who she is, what she wants, achieve her ambitions. Um, And that's something I I definitely really relate to. Um, You know, I... I come from a comedy background and I'm doing, you know, writing, performing live comedy since I was 18. And, you know, I've always had an interest in acting, but I just never really like thought it would happen in the way that it has because I don't see people like myself on TV. So I just kind of thought it was an impossible pipe dream. And, you know, I I love doing comedy. 
And so it was like several years of just like grafting, you know, I would work a day job in the day and then um, gig at night. And then over the weekend I'd gig and I'd write all day and, or I'd like find short films to be in. So I would have, you know, experience on camera. And um, when I look back on those, those years, I'm like, I even think about them. I feel exhausted because I don't think I could ever do that now. Like, the way I just like completely chased my dreams, like completely unabashedly um, and used up every like free inch of time I had was like pretty like impressed by myself. Um, but yeah, it's hard, especially sort of when you're working at desk jobs that you're not particularly passionate about and you're doing that, you know, nine to five. And also this is so weird tiny tangent but um I we've met before and you probably won't remember me but um I used to work at Condé Nast oh my god what did you do at Condé Nast I was um the PA to the finance director this oh my (laughs) god oh my god did I ever come into you and be like oh my god I've got all these expenses and I was like freaking out about them yeah 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 yeah. and once once I came up to glamour because my boss would get advanced copies of all the the new issues and I I came up to glamour once and I didn't have a new issue of of glamour for that quarter I think and you helped me find one. You were very lovely. Um, oh but my yeah, god! Expenses, report, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mad. My um, next question was going to be: yeah. <laughs> What were the some of the like jobs you had to do on the side? And ding, ding, ding! <laughs> I cannot believe <laughs> ding, this. Ding, ding, ding! What a full circle moment! Full I circle. literally can't believe yeah, this. Man. I'm so glad we're yeah. crossing paths again. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. It's really lovely. Oh my um, god! So many full circle moments. I feel like this. Like so much of my press is me just like meeting people I once worked with or once worked alongside. Or yeah, it's yeah, it's really nice. But it's so amazing that you were in these situations where you're doing these jobs that you didn't love and you didn't really want to do, and you just still kept going mm-hmm. on the side. Like that says so much about your determination, your ambition. It's incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just kind of, well, I just, I just, I had this like real hunger. Um, but I mean, even I talk, like, like I said, I mean, looking back on it now, even talking about it, I've, it's it's really bizarre because I, I don't know where I got the sheer amount of energy from. Like I would wake up at like six or seven, go to work until like five. I'd go like grab like a Greg sausage roll and then I'd go to a gig and I'd come home at like 11 p.m. midnight. And then I usually do it all again the next day. So like, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty mad. But then, and then for a long time things weren't happening, and it was quite um, like disillusioning and disappointing. But then, once I you know got an agent and I got my first TV job, things sort of started to pick up. And then, yeah, yeah, I I've definitely you know luck is like when preparation meets opportunity, and I think that's definitely true in my in my case. Mm. Yeah. Oh my god, I believe in that so much. That that. That saying lives rent-free in my brain all the time. And it also goes to show that a Greg sausage roll is the fuel of champions, clearly. Vegan sausage roll. Yeah. It's the perfect dinner because it doesn't doesn't bloat you, but it like satisfies that, that salty, that salty something that you want, that I want all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Love it.
I just want to pick up on something you said slightly earlier, which really stuck out for me when you said that you didn't see yourself on screen. And what is so amazing about mm. this role with you playing Emma, it is the South Asian female representation we've long needed on our screen. When do you think you would have mm. needed this representation the most when you were growing up or a point in your life? Um, I mean, ASAP as possible would have been would have been nice. Like, if you know, I, I don't think you should underestimate the power of seeing yourself on screen from a really really early age. Um, I think what's really interesting is that like. I was, you know, I, from really, really young age, you know, I, I watched Bollywood movies and I watched a lot of Bollywood movies growing up. And um, obviously, you know, that's a very different industry, but like there was, you know, Bollywood actors and actresses are some of the most like talented, like beautiful people on the wo- in the world. And there was never a sense of like brown people can't be on screen. It was just sort of, you know, Western television mm. that I was watching where I was like, this isn't, there's something about this part of the world where like you, you know, people like who look like me don't get to be on television or or don't get to play interesting, meaty, complex roles. Um, And even when they do, like there was a lot of those, you know, there were, even when you did see amazing actors or amazing performances, those actors then doesn't necessarily go on to have the careers that they should have done because there just aren't the opportunities and they probably weren't being elevated in the way they should have been. Um, And I think, you know, this this industry has let down a lot of amazing, not just, you know, South Asian actors, but a lot of, you know, people of colour who are just incredible and have done amazing work, but just haven't been given the opportunity, you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation and they've been prepared, but they haven't been given the opportunity Mm. Um, but you know, I think, like I say, like it, that's not seeing yourself on screen, seeing yourself in the media is not a thing to be underestimated. I think it really doesn't only feed into the, into sort of like your ambitions, but it also feeds into like, uh, what you think about how you look and, you know, how valued you are in society. And especially as a young woman, like it feeds into like how beautiful you feel or like, um, how, you know the value you place on yourself in terms of like, do people fall in love with someone who looks like me? I think there's so much, you know, insidious messaging that comes with your face or people, not people who look like you not being sort of front and center that um, I think people don't realize. Um, And I hope now, you know, that's, you know, changing, not as fast as I think I would like, but it, I hope that for lots of, you know, young brown girls, this will be, you know, a symbol that, you know, you do, you, you, you do deserve to be loved and you do matter and you are important and you can go after what you want and you don't have to be just one thing. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very grateful and honoured to be able to give that chance to young women if if they take that from this show or or any others mm. have you gone on a real journey to feel comfortable in your own skin oh my god yeah i'm i'm still going on it i have like real days where i just look in the mirror and i think what is what am i looking at what is that um 
so yeah, it's a real. It, I mean, I I really struggled with sort of you know feeling comfortable with my own skin at school. That was really like tough. Um, I never particularly felt attractive or beautiful. I still really don't. Um, I wouldn't say that's like a characteristic of me, Ambika. I've always, you know, I've always felt like I've got to be like the funniest, smartest, hardest person, hardest working person in the room because, you know, my looks aren't going to get me anywhere, which is, you know, sort of a double bind in this industry when, you know, your looks are to an extent quite important. Um, So, yeah, it's been a real, real journey. But I'd say like, especially I went through a lot of evolution in my early 20s. And especially as I think I became more confident in who I am, especially do through doing comedy, I, I found who it is that I was. I found out what my voice was. That gave me a lot of confidence and it gave me a lot of um, self-belief. I think, I, mean, I, I don't think I would have been able to sort of follow my dreams or like try to get into this industry if I didn't have that. Um so yeah it's been it's been it's been an ongoing it's an ongoing process and I think I think it's a daily process to be honest um you sort of chip away at it day by day and um it's weird in this job because you know you are just constantly aware and made to be aware of what you look like Mm. and that shouldn't really be the case so that's something that I'm struggling with but you know becoming more comfortable with as time goes on and yeah, what's that, interesting. It's an interesting process. Well, the, what's kind of so special about that is, is that Emma is just presented on our screens and she's just allowed to be and her race is mm. never actually brought into it at yeah. all. Was that a really yeah. refreshing thing to be able to lean into? Mm. Yeah, I remember we had conversations about it. I remember shortly after I got the part, the execs, you know, called me in for a meeting and we discussed it really early on but I think we all agreed that like it it just doesn't need to be a discussion point Mm. um this isn't a story about a young brown woman and her experiences growing up in the 80s and 90s like this is a story about love and friendship it's a story about growing up and like also because of you know the privilege of the format of you know only seeing one day a year there was just no need to like delve into things that didn't need to be, that weren't immediately relevant. Um, And yeah, it's really liberating to just be able to play Emma and like not once is her race a factor or an issue or, I mean, it's not something we've completely ignored by any sense. Like we created a backstory for, you know, my version of Emma and what her family might've looked like and, you know, where she might've grown up and, um, that kind of thing, but that just helped us in the sort of creation and it's sort of embedded into the context of the character, but it's never immediately obvious. And I think that's, um, yeah, I'd like to see more of that because I feel like that's definitely more grounded and authentic. Mm-hmm. And you are so authentic with what you bring to the screen and so many people first fall in love with you watching This Is Going To Her and I'll my God, your performance in that sticks to me to this day, like playing Shruti, a junior doctor who her mental health spirals. And it's such a poignant 
and powerful portrayal of mental health, I think. It's making me feel emotional even just thinking about it because um, it was such an amazing performance. And it is another tough watch, just like One Day is towards the end as well. Mm. How do you personally get through playing and working with tough storylines? And do they affect you? Do you mean dying all the time? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just constantly dying in everything that I do. <laughs> um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to die. Um, yeah, it's... It's interesting because I think it almost comes across tougher than it is. Um, with This Is Gonna Hurt, obviously, it was an extremely, extremely heavy storyline. Mm. And I felt that weight and that responsibility really early on. But it just pushed me to do... Like, I did so much research for This Is Gonna Hurt. Like, endless amounts of research. Like, got, like, reams and reams and reams of Word documents just full of research about, you know... Depression, suicide, the experiences of, you know, being a junior doctor, the NHS, like how the NHS worked in 2006, Obs and Gynae doctors. And um, once I got to set, you just sort of forget all of that. Um, and like I said earlier, you trust that if the writing is really good, like it will just, it will carry you and it will do as much of the work. Um, but I think in terms of like, emotionally I don't I I'm quite good at like divorcing myself from that you know when I was especially you know when I was playing sort of the heavier storylines in one day or this is gonna hurt like I don't carry it with me throughout the day Mm. I'm not that kind of actor I just trust that like I've you know had the respect and I've you know treated this material sensitively enough by doing the research and doing the prep that once I'm on set like it's just sort of in my bones um but of course like you're always cognizant of the people that you're representing always um I don't think you can it's I don't think it's something you can forget about um and I think this is going to hurt especially the fact that people who watch the show especially you know key workers especially that they felt that they were represented that their experiences were accurately represented um was a massive, massive win and a massive relief. And um, it's like just one of the most important things I've ever done. One of the most important things I might ever do, which, you know, I'm 28 years old and I hope more jobs like that come to me. But um, yeah, it's something that I'm quite good at not carrying because I just don't think it serves you as an actor to, I mean, lots of people have different processes, but I don't think it serves me personally to carry to carry it around all day Mm. um and as long as you've you know had the respect to do the research I think that will show up yeah 100% and I think when you're playing and exploring a role like the one you had in this is going to hurt where there is a big exploration of mental health how is that and Mm. and you know working on it in such a deep way how has that informed your own relationship with your own mental health and what's that journey look like for you I'm someone who is incredibly anxious and um, I, you know, have struggled with depression in the past and there are a lot of Shruti's experiences in particular, which I definitely related to. Um, 
for example, like, I mean, I've never, you know, felt suicidal or anything like that, but I, there's something that she goes through called anhedonia, which is sort of a numbing. It's, you, it's a numbing to pleasure. It's a numbing to joy. Um, it's a numbing to everything that once made you feel alive in any way, big or small. And, um, that was something that I definitely experienced, you know, like I remember like 2019, like I just don't remember most of that year because I was just so, I felt so depressed and I was so numb to the outside world. Like everything just in my memory feels like a bit of a blur. Um, and I remember when I was playing Shruti, I sort of like confronted that for like the first time. And, um, I, not to, you know, equate what I was feeling to what, you know, Shruti was necessarily feeling, but it was the first time that I was like, you know, I've, I've been there and I know what it feels like to go through a day where just nothing is sparking joy and you just feel really hopeless and you just feel a bit futile for the future. And, um, all you're living in is sort of like self-doubt and self-criticism and it's like a really lonely place to be and you're living in shame. And that's, um, Something that, you know, I was forced to. That's my dog. Can you hear him? Someone's <laughs> barking at the door. It's usually my dog, Ren, who's getting dog. involved in the recording, so don't worry. Oh. <laughs> okay. Picture gr- great moment, Todd, to interrupt. Um, so, yeah, that was the first time I, I you know, I, I properly confronted that feeling that I had had. And, yeah, so that was really, really interesting. When I did research into that, I was finally able to sort of, like, put a label for the first time on what mm. I was feeling and um, bring that up in therapy and, and all that. And that was, you know, that was really enlightening. And mm. um, to say you went through that experience where you kind of lost joy in life and you're now sat here today, slightly on the other side of that and in this amazing zone mm. in your career, how proud do you feel of yourself knowing that you've got to this point? Do you know, there was a really... A funny, amazing moment where it was the beginning of shooting one day. We were sat on the top of Arthur's Seat at the end of July. It was so sunny. The weather was gorgeous. We were sat right at the top filming. And I've done a lot of Edinburgh Fringes in my life. A lot. I've done like four or five. And um, so Edinburgh is like some a place that's like really important to me. Mm. And, you know, I've done Edinburgh from like when I was like 19 to like 23. And... Every fringe on the last day, we would walk up Arthur's Sea. And the last fringe I'd done was in 2019. I was feeling extremely depressed. You know, I was feeling this numbness and this sort of, this, you know, futility about like what it is that I was doing. And um, cut to three years later, I was at the top of Arthur's Sea again. I was the lead of like this Netflix show of like one of my most beloved books. And... I was just like, it felt like almost like, uh, like a, I don't know, a, a universal like full circle moment. Um, and I just felt like so lucky 
and blessed and like almost like it was meant to be. Mm. Um, Cause almost like, it was like almost like three years exactly that I'd last been up path the sea and just to sort of be there under a completely different context was really, um, really special. Um, but yeah, when I look back now, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud and I don't get me wrong. I'm not naive to like, I've also had, you know, a lot of luck as well, but, um, I'm so glad that like, especially, you know, for my younger self of like putting in the graft and putting in the work and doing all that stuff, which I, at this age, I have no, I have, I don't have the energy for it, but you know, I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful to my younger self. And, um, I just hope I can just keep following my gut and doing things that feel important and, and truthful to me. Mm. Well, I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. And it has been the most incredible joy to talk to you today. And it's been so incredible to see you on our screens and it's been so great to be reunited with you because apart from in a panic about my expenses (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny because one of the questions I I was going to ask you was about adulting and the thing that you've struggled with the most about adulting mine is finance so it's very funny that I've literally been faced with finance today With the ghosts of your financial past. Oh, yeah. babe, those ghosts are haunting me more yeah. than the night. Don't you so worry funny. about it. So the last question I ask my oh. guests always is, in the reign of your life, what's the one rule you'll always live by? Ooh. I don't know why I'm actually not surprised I've heard you ask that question before. <laughs> but um, I've literally w- listened to your podcast. I, I know that you asked that. I But I literally haven't... Um, this is one of my favorite sayings, which is, um, you're a river, not a rock. Um, which I think basically means that everything is temporary in this life. Like the good, the bad, like even this life is temporary. Like this material life that we're living is temporary. Um, and I think something that I'm trying to learn is to let things move through me. So like experiences, jobs, people, relationships, like, you know, everything has its time. Everything moves on. Good experiences, bad experiences, emotions. Um, and just like practicing, I think, a bit of detachment from that. There's this really lovely like explanation in the Bhagavad Gita, which says that like detachment isn't that you don't own nothing. It's that nothing owns you. And so letting everything move through me because I'm a river, not a rock. So I think that's probably that. Yeah. I love that. It's also so, so close to one of the lines that I live by, which is that everything in life is transient and how you feel today is not how you're going to feel tomorrow and how you feel next week. And I got told that from a guy I used to work with at Topshop, like back in the day. And it was over a hangover (gasps) that I was having in the thing room. She was like, Oh my God, babes, don't worry. Everything in life is transient. And I was like, this is so philosophical for this hangover, but it's such a great life lesson. I'm never going to forget this. <laughs> that is so funny that she was talking about a hangover. Yeah. And now you're like, yeah. Studying life lessons. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. 
Never forget. Never forget. Well, thank you so much, babes, for coming on. And I really hope I get to see you in real life again soon. And I cannot wait for people to see you at this show. Oh, thank you. I mean so much that you liked it. Thank you so much. Babes didn't just like it, I loved it. That's really kind. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe or follow and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life, just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.